Keturah by Rav Yaakov Medan. Our parasha is clearly divisible into three sections, according to the main character in each. Chapter 23 deals entirely with Sarah and her burial, chapter 24 discusses Rivka and her marriage to Yitzchak, and chapter 25, or at least the first part of it, deals with Keturah. This structure presents a clear message. Sarah's death leaves a vacuum on two levels. Abraham is left without a wife, and Am Yisrael is left without a matriarch. The first vacuum is filled by Keturah, Abraham's new wife, while the second is filled by Rivka. She enters Sarah's tent as Yitzchak's wife and survives Sarah as the second matriarch of Israel for all future generations. Chazal focus, naturally, on the second level and describe at length how Rivka filled the void left by Sarah's death. Yitzchak brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother. As long as Sarah lived, a cloud was attached to the entrance to her tent. When she died, this cloud disappeared, and when Rivka came, it reappeared. As long as Sarah lived, the doors were wide open, and when Sarah died, the openness disappeared, and when Rivka came, the openness reappeared. As long as Sarah lived, there was blessing in the dough. When Sarah died, the blessing ceased, and when Rivka came, it was restored. As long as Sarah lived, a candle burned from one Shabbat Eve to the next. When she died, the candle ceased, and when Rivka came, it was restored. Chazal compared the forefathers' tent to the Holy of Holies in the Temple, since the Divine Presence was revealed to the forefathers in their tents in the same way that it was revealed to Moshe from above the covering between the two Kruvim. The structure of the matriarch's tent therefore also paralleled the image of the temple. The cloud attached to the tent resembled the cloud of incense that arose from the golden altar. The light that remained burning resembled the menorah, and the blessing that was bestowed on the bread parallels the showbread. In a certain sense, though, Rivka may be perceived as filling a void left by Sarah as Abraham's wife, even though she did not marry him. Proof of this is to be found in Abraham's command to his servant, the elder of his household, as to how to evaluate a bride suitable for his son. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not agree to follow me to this land. Shall I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, Guard yourself, lest you take my son back there. The Lord God of the heavens, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and promised to me, saying, To your seed I shall give this land, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman will not agree to follow you, you will be free of this oath, only do not take my son there. The woman destined to be Yitzchak's wife will be tested as to her willingness to leave her birthplace in Haran and to journey to an unknown land. She too will thereby fulfill the command that was given to Abraham, Go then from your land and from your birthplace and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Without this test of faith, the woman is not worthy of inheriting Sarah's heritage and becoming Abraham's daughter-in-law. The wise servant understands the message that is left unsaid and tests Rivka in terms of another characteristic of Abraham's home, the warm hospitality. Behold, I am standing by the well, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I shall say, Please let down your pitcher and let me drink, and she will answer, Drink, and I shall water your camels too. Let her be the one whom you have destined for your servant for Yitzchak. Thereby shall I know that you have shown kindness to my master. Avraham's daughter-in-law is evaluated in terms of the two founding pillars of the nation of Israel, kindness and faith.
The necessity of Rivka's inclusion into the family and her positive qualities are obvious. But for what reason does Abraham marry Keturah? Rashi attempts to present her positive traits. Keturah, this was Hagar. She is called Keturah because her actions were pleasant like incense. Ketoret. And because she had remained celibate, not having relations with anyone from the day that she separated from Abraham. But Rashi would appear to be contradicting himself. Previously, he commented concerning Hagar, she departed and she wandered. She returned to the idols of her father's house. How can Rashi speak of the actions of an idolater as being pleasant? From the narrative itself, it would seem that the entire purpose of this second marriage was to bear more children. The Midrash teaches, In the morning, sow your seed, and toward evening, do not cease. If you have children when you are young, marry a wife in your old age and bear more children. From whom do we learn this? From Abraham, who married a wife and had children when he was younger, and he took another wife in his old age. What is the point of bearing more children when ultimately Abraham was going to send them away, just as he did Ishmael? Abraham gave all that he had to Yitzchak, and to the children of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and he sent them away from Yitzchak his son, while he was still alive, eastward to the land of the east. Perhaps Abraham's need to bear numerous children is related to the difference between the two covenants that God made with him. In the context of his circumcision, God tells him explicitly, I shall establish my covenant with Yitzchak, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. This is a covenant that will be established only with his consecrated seed, Yitzchak, the son of Sarah. This covenant promises Abraham the land of Canaan, which will be given to Yitzchak's descendant, Yaakov, and will be settled by Yaakov's descendants, divided into inheritances for the tribes, each comprised of its households. This is the holy land promised to Israel. It shall be for you alone. No strangers will inherit it with you. But God also made another covenant with Abraham, the covenant of the parts, Brit ben Abitarim, where he mentions not the land of Canaan, but rather the land from the Nile to the Euphrates. The content of this covenant discusses not the sanctity of Abraham's descendants, but rather the historical process that they will endure in exile, as strangers, in servitude and oppression, until they build up their independent kingdom in their own land, no longer under foreign rule. The land of Canaan lies between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea. It is holy ground, and concerning it the Torah teaches, The land has become defiled, and I have visited its iniquities upon it, and the land shall spew out its inhabitants. But such a tiny land seems inadequate for the establishment of an independent sovereignty. Throughout the biblical period, so long as these were the borders of the kingdom of Israel, independence was short-lived, and it was subject to whatever the reigning empire was at the time. The situation in modern times bears out the same conclusion. The state of Israel in its borders between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, the so-called greater land of Israel, is not an independent entity. It relies upon the favor of foreign powers, especially that of the U.S. The geopolitical unit representing the independent kingdom of Israel lies between the Nile and the Euphrates. If we look at a map, we note that this is not a particularly large area. The Persian Empire, this entire expanse constitutes only one province out of the 120 comprising the empire. These, then, are the borders of the independent kingdom of Israel, and indeed it was only when these were the actual borders, during the reigns of David and Shlomo, that the kingdom of Israel was entirely independent. 
Therefore, when discussing the inheritance of Am Yisrael from a historical point of view and the transition from being strangers to political independence, we are speaking of the complete Eretz Yisrael, from the Nile to the Euphrates. However, the nation is unable to populate the wide expanses of this land and its vast wildernesses until God fulfills his promise and increases our number a thousandfold over the number that originally entered the land. This, apparently, is the reason why Abraham had many children and sent them away from Yitzchak, his son. Yishmael was banished to the wilderness of Sinai, which leads on to Egypt. The children of Keturah were sent to the eastern wilderness, which stretches up to the area around the Euphrates. In this way, Abraham tried to fill the land between the Nile and the Euphrates with his offspring, the children of Ishmael, the children of Keturah, Edom, and the children of Lot, Ammon and Moab, who were also considered his descendants. All would live in the land, the land between the Nile and the Euphrates, but only Yitzchak, with whom God had established the covenant of circumcision, would live in the holy land of Canaan. Further on in the Torah, it becomes clear that the entire great land is given to Am Yisrael. We find this stated explicitly several times, especially in Sefer Dvarim. If you will guard well all of these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave to him, then God will drive out all of these nations from before you, and you will possess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place where your feet tread shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates up to the furthermost sea shall be your border. No man shall be able to stand up to you. God will put the fear of you and dread of you upon all the land where you tread, as he has spoken to you. From the style, we note that the great land is given to the descendants of Yaakov, to rule it and to make it their kingdom, but together with them live all the descendants of Abraham. Yaakov is blessed with the inheritance of the land after his battle against Esav for the birthright and the blessing. Nations will serve you, and peoples will bow down to you. You shall be a lord over your brethren, and your mother's children will bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those that bless you will be blessed. From the above, one might have the impression that perhaps the level of Abraham's descendants, the children of Keturah and of Ishmael, and later on the children of Esav, is somehow higher than the level of other Gentiles. Perhaps their right to dwell in those areas of the great land that lie outside of the land of Canaan, on condition that they accept Jewish sovereignty over them, is a legitimate right anchored in the Torah. This question brings us to our final point, a dispute between the Tanaim and the Midrash as to whether Keturah was Hagar or another woman. Rebbe said, Hagar is the same as Keturah. Why is she called Keturah? Because she was completely celibate after originally being banished by Abraham. But the sages said he married a different woman. What is Rebbe's reason for saying that Hagar is Keturah? For it is written concerning Yitzchak, Yitzchak came from the way of Be'er Lachai Ro'i. The same that is referred to in the verse, she called the name of God who spoke to her, you are Kel Roi. From this we learn that she was Hagar. We have already noted that Rashi would appear in his commentary on chapter 25 to adopt the approach of Rebbe, despite the fact that in chapter 21 he rejects Hagar completely, interpreting the text in accordance with the sages who disagree with Rebbe. Rebbe's proof for his claim is based on the juxtaposition of Abraham's marriage to Keturah to Yitzchak's arrival from Be'er Lachai Roi, the place where Hagar dwelled. There may be even another proof. According to the description in our parasha, Ishmael dwelled in the western Negev and in Sinai up until Shur of Egypt, while the children of Keturah were sent eastwards to the lands of the east, to the wilderness on the eastern side of the mountains of Gilad. In the story of the sale of Yosef, we witness throughout the route from the eastern wilderness to Egypt cooperation between the Ishmaelim and the Midianim. 
Likewise, in the story of Gid'on's battle against Midian and the children of the East, we are told explicitly that the Midianim's earrings belong to the Ishmaelim. In Sefer Divrayaimim, we find a description of a great war that Reuven, God, and half the tribe of Menashe fight against the tribes of the Eastern Wilderness, known as the Giri'im, in other words, the children of Hagar. From all of these sources, it would appear that the children of Ishmael and the children of Keturah are the same family. In light of these verses, Rebbe maintains that Hagar is Keturah, and hence the descendants of Hagar and the descendants of Keturah are the same.